Back in 1979, a small family moved from sunny California to Atlanta, Georgia. Four weeks later, Atlanta was hit by one, in fact, was the worst ice storm that they ever kept on record until that point. We had just moved into a nice temporary house which we were living with three little children. And there we are in this house in the middle of an ice storm, couldn't get in or out, a complete and massive power outage. We're still strangers in a strange city. We knew very, very few people. And during that time, we found ourselves camped inside this nice house without power or the ability to cook. No radio or television to find out what's going on. And so we huddled in that cold and dark house with our coats and blankets and everything else that we can find helpless, totally helpless, and isolated. A few days later, the Lord began to teach me some very important lessons, and obviously I haven't forgotten all these years, and that's why I'm talking about it today. A lesson regarding the spiritual condition of many a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ who are living their Christian life with a spiritual power outage. A lesson about how professing Christians seldom exhibit the fruit of the Spirit and why. Oh, to be sure, there are lots of gifts and lots of talents, lots of talk, but very little fruit. And the reason we do not exhibit the fruit of the Spirit is because we often rely on our own power in the Christian walk. We rely on the strength of our own efforts of what we can accomplish or what we can do, or even the forcefulness of some personalities. Spiritually speaking, when the power of the Holy Spirit is not operating in the life of a believer, spiritually speaking, they may be living in a nice house. All the appearances look great, but they internally are huddled in a cold and dark place without spiritual electricity. Please listen carefully. Every believer has at least one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Many have multiple gifts. And yet, when the power of the Holy Spirit is unplugged, when the power of the Holy Spirit is down, when the power of the Holy Spirit is switched off, the gift or gifts of the Holy Spirit are ineffective. They are unproductive. Oh, they are seen by people as very talented, very gifted. And people would look and say, oh, look at him. Look at her. I wish I had some of those gifts. I wish I could do that. Now, I want to give you a quiz right now. Okay, quiz time. It's pass or fail. Can you name one New Testament church? that absolutely had all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I mean, they were not lacking in gifts whatsoever. Can you name it? Good. Time is up. If you said the Corinthians church, you would be right. You would be absolutely right. In fact, in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, verse 7, Paul said that they were not lacking in any gift. They had them all. I mean, in today's language, we would say, that is a really cool church. It's in church. 
And yet, if they read on, as you read closely the rest of the epistle, you find that they were divided. They were arrogant. They refused to submit to spiritual authority. They were fighting with each other all the time. They were tolerating all sorts of sin in the church. They were taking each other to court all the time. They were worldly in every way. They did not love one another. Oh, they had the gifts. They were gifted. They were talented. But they were totally unplugged from the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me put it this way. Having the gift of the Holy Spirit is like owning a million-dollar Lamborghini, expensive sports car in your garage, but you cannot afford the gas. (laughs) It just sits in the garage. No gas. You're dead in the water. What good is that shiny toy if you cannot get it out of the garage? You could be the most gifted person in the whole world. But without the fruit of the Spirit, you're spinning your wheels. If you've experienced power failure in your life right now, if you're experiencing fruit failure in your life, if you're not effective in your service, if you're not fruitful in your ministry, if you feel sometimes when you pray that heaven is like a brass and the earth is like iron and metal, if you've lost your joy, if you've lost your peace, ask yourself the question, why? You're going to discover that spiritually speaking, you have a power failure. So you internally, regardless of what the external does, but internally, you're huddled in the cold and dark interior. And most often what causes power failure at least I know that experientially in my life, is those moments when I place something or someone or even self on the throne of my heart. Whenever Jesus is not enthroned on the heart and the soul and the life, always, always, never fails, causes a power failure. Does it all the time, every time. And that's what Paul is saying here in Galatians 5, 15 to 26. Listen, I've seen some of the most gifted people drop like a fly. And I know you've seen it too. But why? Oh, they get to the point when they begin to rely on their giftedness instead of the giver of the gift. They get to the point of trusting in themselves instead of the one who can raise the dead. They're leaning on their own ability instead of the continuous empowerment of Him who can do all things through us. And so I have a question. How do you know if you are experiencing a power failure? How do you know that? Paul said, if you're walking in the Spirit, you are not gratifying the desires of the flesh. That's a literal translation. But if you are gratifying the desires of the flesh, you are not walking in the Spirit. It works both ways. You see, the two cannot exist, coexist together. They cannot. Because the desires of the flesh and the Spirit are constantly warring against each other. That's the problem with many Christians. They don't like war. They just don't like to think that the spiritual life is a war. So they ignore the reality of the Spirit warring against the flesh. they like oil and water. They cannot mix. They cannot live together. 
Most people, when they hear the word desires of the flesh, immediately they think of sexual sins. That too, but that's not all. In fact, listen to the list of those desires of the flesh. Idolatry, placing anyone or anybody, anything on the throne of your heart, not the Lord. Sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, irreverence, dissension, division, envy. And so when you hear the desires of the flesh, you understand it's a lot more than just sexual sins. And Paul is saying here that when the Holy Spirit of God is in His rightful place, (laughs) when the Holy Spirit's power is plugged in, when the house is wired correctly, then the desires of the flesh will become mute. It's going to be suspended. (laughs) Remember again, it is not a matter of trying harder. It's a matter of having Christ formed in you. Probably some of you are asking the question, How can I live up to my royal priesthood? How can I live up to that? How can I get plugged in all the time, day in and day out, moment by moment, and not lose power? Here's what I've got to tell you. First of all, you must come to the conclusion, and you live in that conclusion, that you cannot trust in your own efforts. You cannot trust in your own efforts. If you insist that you can do it, you will always experience power failure. This is a testifying. And I the authority of the Word of God, but I'm testifying to you. There are two things that will always trip you. Two things will always trip you and disconnect the power. And you'll experience spiritual power failure. One is pride. The other one is ignorance. Sometimes both. So I want you to look at verse 16 of Galatians 5. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Another translation said, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. A grammar lesson. Verse 16 is in the present tense in the imperative mood. Now, this is very important. This is a big deal. (laughs) What does that mean? It means that this walking is not a once-for-all deal. It is not you walk down the aisle, and you get zapped, and you got it, and now you can move on. No, 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 no. The reason it is in the present imperative is because it is a continuous action. It is keeping on walking with the Spirit and in the Spirit. It is as constant as breathing. And I don't anybody who says, I breathed yesterday, I'm not going to breathe today. It is only when you are continuously doing this will you not fall prey to the desires of the flesh. Here's something very important you must understand. The reason he used the word walk Because it implies progression. You're moving. You're not sitting on your blessed assurance. You're moving. You're walking. What he says, walking, implies that you are moving forward. Uh, Walking means that you are growing day by day. You may not be able to assess 
your growth day by day, but certainly you should be able to assess your growth year by year. At the end of each year, you should be able to look up to heaven and say, Bless God, for He has been with me. He's been changing me. He's been teaching me. He's been leading me. He has been growing me up. You should be at least able to do that. And you're able to say, I have thanked the Lord that I am not this year what I was last year. What makes the difference is that continuous moving forward by and in the power of the Holy Spirit, which brings me to the central theme of this passage, namely the fruit of the Spirit. Remember, it's the fruit in the singular. A lot of people confuse that and say the fruits of the Spirit. It is the fruit in the singular, and I'm going to tell you why that's a big deal in a minute. So what evidence, what evidence can you present to the court of your life? Don't forget about everybody else. That you got the court in your heart, in your life, and you're going to present some evidence to the court of your life. You're going to present evidence that you are growing in the Spirit, that you are exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. Are you more loving, more peaceful, more joyful? That's the evidence, the fruit of the Spirit. How do I acquire the fruit of the Spirit? By yielding more and more and more of my life to the control of the Holy Spirit. We've been seeing this throughout the series of messages. Yielding to the Holy Spirit, beloved, listen to me, is a decision of the will. And then God does the rest. You cannot just sit in your blessed assurance and say, Oh, fill me, Holy Spirit. Ain't going to happen in a million years. Lots of people make that mistake. If that is possible, why would the Apostle Paul make it in a command form? It's in the imperative mood. It's a command. You see, the use of grammar is very important in the Greek New Testament. <laughs> he is saying as an order, as somebody commanding somebody who is at the lower rank, and he says, walk. What's the response? Yes, sir. That's what he's anticipating here. You see, walking is an action. It's a movement. It's a forward motion. Not sitting on the sidelines, not straddling the fence, not being indifferent, not going to church 10 minutes late and leaving 10 minutes early and said, I did my thing. No, 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 no. Walking must be making progress. But not only making progress, not only it's an action, but also it's a fight. That's what he said. It's a fight. It's a warfare. Verse 17. There's a war. The spirit and the flesh are at war with each other. Let me tell you something. Those who minimize that pay the price. Spirit is fighting with the flesh. In any war, there are only victors and victims. In any war, there are winners and losers. In any war, there is the quick and the dead. But here's the good news. Listen carefully. Here's the good news. I don't want you to get discouraged. Here's the good news. When you're walking in the Spirit, you are assured of victory. The spiritual warfare in the Christian life is the only warfare I know that you can be assured of victory ahead of time. You see, when you're led by the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, you cannot lose. But if you try to live the Christian life based on your own effort, I've got to give it my best shot. I've got to, I mean, after all, we trained in school. We're the captains of our own ship and the masters of our lives and all that stuff. Let me tell you something. Put that out of your mind when it comes to the Christian life. 
if you're totally reliant on your own ingenuity, if you look at your own accomplishment and say, look what I've done and I can do this other thing, if you're relying on your own wisdom, Satan is not only going to eat your lunch, he's going to eat your dinner too. Let me give you a homespun illustration. Imagine that you got two dogs in your backyard. One is a proud and noble breed. That's the spirit. The other is ugly mongrel. <laughs> but here's the deal. Here's the deal. I know even that statement I'm about to make, probably the PETA people will be demonstrating outside my house. But, but here's the deal. You're only allowed to feed one and starve the other. Now, you understand the spiritual thing. Can I get a witness? Good. I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. Which one will you feed? Which one will you starve? The answer is far more serious and far more important than you think. Why? Because the one you feed will grow. The one you starve eventually be weakened and eventually die. Now, beloved, you either yield to the works of the flesh in the plural, or do you submit to the Spirit? The word flesh, too, which is really a literal translation, misunderstood by a lot of Christians. When they hear the word flesh, they think it's talking about the human body. That's a common mistake. He's not talking about the human body. You see, the human body is not intrinsically sinful. Did you know that? The human body is not intrinsically sinful. The human body, we are created a thing of beauty. (laughs) You see, the Bible said we are fearfully and wonderfully made. The bodies are morally neutral. And the word flesh here referred to the sinful desires as it is interpreted in the NIV. The sinful desires that attack the body, that attack your mind, attack your heart, attack your emotions, attack your intellect. The word flesh stands for pride and lust and selfish ambition and envy and creating strife everywhere you go. It stands for bitterness and anger and unforgiveness and immorality of all kinds. And the list goes on and on and on. But when the Spirit controls the body, when the Spirit indwells the body, when there is no power failure, when you're walking in the Spirit, when you're plugged into the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit will not only give you victory over the flesh, but He will create in you the fruit of the Spirit. You are actually going to surprise yourself (laughs) when you look back and you're loving somebody that a few years ago you couldn't love. You'll surprise yourself. Why? Because the Lord pours that fruit of the Spirit into your life. He pours it in. You see, you cannot manufacture the fruit of the Spirit. Some people think they can manufacture it. (laughs) Somehow they can do it. You cannot manufacture it. I can tell you with certainty that feeding the flesh will not only create turmoil inside of you, but it's going to create guilt and anxiety and fear and worry and more. A friend of mine was looking at a house that he wanted to buy. I mean, he looked at that house, and that house was in such state of disrepair, it was a disaster. I mean, he can't even describe it. And the real estate agent said, 
Oh, just few repairs and a fresh coat of paint, and it will be good as new. And my friend kind of smiled, and he said, no. He said, I'm going to buy it, but I'm going to tear it down. I just want the site. I'm going to tear the house down. A lot of Christians are like this real estate agent. They really do. They just think that uh, all they knew, just few efforts in this area and few efforts in that area, and they'll be all right. If they just strengthen that weakness here and strengthen that weakness there, they will be okay. That if they're just a, a fresh coat of paint that will hide some deficiencies there and some deficiencies here and some deficiencies there, they'll be okay. Doing few repairs to strengthen yourself here and there, you'll be all right. You'll take care of the problem. But just like the buyer, God says those defects and those deficiencies cannot hide. They have to be destroyed. You have to tear down the house, knock it down, build a new one. And that's what God wants to do. The question is, does every Christian who is born of the Spirit yields to the Spirit? And the answer is, some do and some don't. Some either because of pride or ignorance, as we saw, do not yield to the control of the Holy Spirit. They think they can hack it themselves. And as a result, their lives are constantly in turmoil, internal war going on inside, in shambles. Why? They're feeding the ugly dog, not the noble one. Or sometimes they might come to church and try to feed the good dog, and, and therefore they actually make the war worse. They try to make few repairs here and few improvements there, and, and they try to hide some deficiencies, hide this one here and hide this one there. So they don't look bad to the public. But the old flesh is devouring them from the inside. As a matter of fact, the New Testament tells us about two groups of Christians. Two churches represented. The Corinthians, those who lived in Corinth, and those who lived in Galatia. The believers in Corinth and the believers in Galatians. The Galatians were in a mess because of pride. The Corinthians were in equal mess because of ignorance. The Corinthians were so ignorant of the importance of the unity of the Spirit in the body that they opened the door for Satan to come in and wreak havoc among them. Beloved, division always comes, always. Watch it in your home, watch it in any relationship. When somebody believes half-truth, because by nature we are partisans and divisive, and, and therefore we listen to one side or one half-truth, and then we run with it, and a division takes place. The Galatians, on the other hand, they're out of pride. They were trying to earn their salvation by performance, and they messed up too. Now, here's something very important I don't want you to miss. We as human beings want or tend to believe doctrine that is based on human experience or feelings, or both. We do. Instead of putting our trust in the objective truth of the Word of God, 
was I just feel that way. <laughs> My experience tells me. And they argue and they will fight based on experience or based on feelings or strong opinion. Read my lips. The heck with experience and feelings if they're not consistent with the Word of God. Our experience and feelings may be good or may be bad. But our victory does not come from our experience. Our victory is not based on our feelings. Our victory comes from yielding everything to the Holy Spirit of God. Every inch of it. Only when Christ is formed in you, when He's formed in me, only when we seek to please Him above pleasing the self or pleasing others, only when we do what He said to do, not what we think we should do, or how we feel we should do. Only when we obey and not insist in our own way. Only then do we know that the flesh is being starved and weakened, and the Spirit is producing the fruit. Don't miss the contrast between the works in the plural of the flesh and the fruit in the singular of the Spirit. It's very important. It's far more important than you realize. The works of the flesh are many. Why? Because they divide your mind. They divide your heart. They scatter your mind. They scatter you in, in ten different directions, with even more different directions. They divide your heart and cause you consternation. Uh, they scatter your life and, and put it in shambles and in turmoil. They cause you continuous tension in life. They steal your peace and your joy. They rob you of contentment. They scatter you in a thousand different ways, all at the same time. Ah, but the fruit in the singular of the Spirit, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is, although He gives us nine traits, but it's a cluster of fruit. One fruit, character quality with kaleidoscope. Why is in the singular? Because the fruit of the Spirit unite your heart, unite your mind, unite your spirit, unite you all together, integrate you. This love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, they go together. And beloved, I want to tell you, all of the money in the world can never buy you the fruit of the Spirit. All of the hard trying and the effort in the world cannot give you the fruit of the Spirit. All your accomplishment and, and the things that you're proud of the most in your life cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit because if the fruit of the Spirit cannot be manufactured, the fruit of the Spirit is not a matter of trying harder. It's a cluster of fruit that's only poured into my life. It's only poured into your life. How? When you yield every inch of your life to the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, if you look closely at this cluster of fruit, look at it carefully. And if you look at it closely, you know what you're going to see? You're going to see Jesus. 
You're going to see Jesus. For he is the one who's always, always, always loving, joyful, peaceful, long-suffering, patient, kind, good, faithful, meek, and self-controlled. And when you yield to his spirit, don't ever forget that the Holy Spirit is Jesus' spirit. And when you yield to his spirit, he's going to make you in the likeness of Jesus. But then Paul concludes the chapter by saying that just as Jesus was crucified on that cross, every one of us must crucify the desires of the flesh. And this crucifixion is a continuous. It takes place one day, but then you keep on doing it. In fact, three things. Very quickly, I want to tell you about crucifixions. Very, very important. Three things you must know. Crucifixion is done without any pity on the one being crucified. And you should not feel sorry or sympathetic when you crucify the works of the flesh. Secondly, crucifixion is very painful. It is very painful. And I know I'm talking to a postmodern culture where we want everything for nothing. And yet the crucifying of the flesh is painful. But let me tell you this. The pain cannot be compared with the joy and the peace that comes from crucifying the works of the flesh. The third thing I want to tell you is crucifixion is decisive. You must leave the flesh crucified. Don't take them out. Leave them there. Don't pick them out. Leave them on the cross. Until the day in the by and by, they will die. If you live by the Spirit, the works of the flesh eventually die. And the obvious thing is this. After the crucifixion, there was a resurrection. And every time you crucify the works of the flesh, you're going to experience resurrection in your life. Power like you've never experienced before. Joy and peace that nobody can understand except you and the Lord. Father, it is my plea, whether it be the speaker or the listeners, help us to live day by day. Every time we take a breath, that we are crucifying the flesh and surrendering to the Holy Spirit. For it is His power that we need, His power that we long for. And His power is what the world wants to see the difference in us. This plea I make for me and my friends, for Jesus' sake. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.